Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl. This is part 14 and we're starting on chapter 9 of 13. 13th is All Rights Reserved to CM Rosens and the theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel. The five original illustrations in the ebook and paperback are by Thomas Brown. This is getting to the, the middle bit. It's all kind of heating up, I guess. <laughs> um, you've got some drug use, uh, alcohol relapse, depersonalization and derealization as a result of drug taking, on-page trip in POV and depersonalization when Wes can't remember his own face for the first time. Also very strong language. There's also an explicit reference uh, and sort of rumination on attraction to first cousins, um, which in the UK is legal and you can marry your first cousins. But if you feel any kind of ick about that, um, it's part of being the inbred family and it's part of that context. Um, it's also clearly, I think if you read between the lines, not a healthy relationship or wasn't a healthy relationship either. So that's just something to be aware of going forward in this one. Yeah, good luck with this. It's <laughs> uh, more family toxic drama, uh, etc. And a little bit of Machiavellian nonsense from Wes. <laughs> Chapter 9. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Whether one has fear of it or not, one's death is difficult to accept. Ernest Hemingway, for whom the bell tolls. 14th of January Wes went for a short walk around the gardens once his sister had gone back to her room. He had to clear his head of the energy pulsing in the kitchen, free his mind of Ricky's ripped abs, and definitely not think about that time they'd been stupid teenagers with nothing better to do than each other. Ricky hadn't been into it then, either. Striding around the back lawns and skirting the broken wall to return to the gravel drive at the front, a twinge of jealousy stirred in his chest as the gables loomed over him. It wasn't often, never, in fact, that he was jealous of Ricky. He'd always known the old ruin as the Crows, a wild-sounding name that suited its decay. Its restoration was a revelation, an epiphany, a promise, that even the most broken of things could be restored to some kind of life, and that life could be glorious. He took his time, checking on his car while he was about it. He'd been to a wedding with Charlie where they'd laid on free wraps of cocaine in the tampon dispenser of the ladies' bathroom, and he'd still got one of them in the glove compartment. He wished he had a pack of silver lining instead. Wait, did he? The hairs on the nape of his neck pricked, but when he whipped around to check he wasn't being observed, the house was the only thing staring at him. No movement or shape appeared in any of the windows, but the windows themselves felt like they were trained on him, a swarm of irregular, rectangular eyes. Wes shivered and got in the passenger seat, shutting the door and hiding behind the tinted glass. He felt silly, but he didn't wind the window down, and opened the compartment gingerly, as if anticipating a knock on the window. He checked the mirrors, telling himself he was being a tit. There was no one there, except the manor house. The manor was Fairwood House again now, and no mistake. Too grand, too big, too watchful for a colloquial name. He could buy it, settle Charlie and Hugo here, fill the place with parties and art, cocktails and pearls and the Chelsea set, have a swimming pool and a tennis court. He'd be untouchable here, with the owner's permission. As the owner, even better. His partners deserved the world if he could give it to them. They'd be safe here. He wasn't sure if it would make up for letting them fall for him in the first place, but it would be a start. 
It was too good for the likes of Richard Bloody Porter, that was for sure, the family's new god, the great unwashed. He snorted to himself. Fishing around in his preferred hidden spots rewarded him with a cocaine wrap and Uncle Barry's magic pills. Fuck it, they were too good to waste on posh oiks with no imagination. Uncle Barry would be none the wiser as long as he got his cash. It wasn't stealing. He'd learned his lesson about that, even if it had only been for the rush. Wes stowed the wrap back for later and contemplated a pill. Main lesson being Uncle Barry has no sense of humour, he muttered to himself. He paused. I'm talking to myself. Fucking hell. It was this place. The house, brooding, accusing, not finding him funny either. At least it couldn't see him through the tinted windscreen. It's a fucking house, Wes told the pill. I'm losing my goddamn mind. One more of these wouldn't make a difference then. He popped it in his mouth, pushed it to the back and swallowed it dry. He strapped himself in, just in case. This time, he tried to ignore the thoughts that wanted to come out and play, and faced the ones that manifested like thunderclouds. A red cocoon pulsed in the distance on an outcrop of black rock, and he made his way towards it, although memories of orgies and swinger parties flashed their bits at him and begged him to come back. Later, he promised them. He had a few more pills left, and some of the parties gave him coy little glimpses of things he couldn't remember, which might mean they hadn't happened yet. Not that he trusted his memory to work backwards properly. He saw his cousin, grey-faced and tense, as if he was some distance below Wes in the landscape of black rock. Fishbones and dried seaweed littered the place. Wes stood atop an outcrop and the cocoon was gone. Ricky slumped below him, rubbing his belly and looking sick. He was alone. It didn't look like anywhere Wes had seen outside of a pulp sci-fi novel cover or the National Geographic. It felt familiar, though. The longer he focused on this, the quicker he felt himself coming down. He turned from the image to find another, dates and numbers swirling around him too fast to catch. Things began piling back into his head, sucked back faster than he could snatch at them. Damn! Either going with the flow lasted longer, or he'd started to build a tolerance. He chose to hope for the former. He waited until he'd properly come back to this side of reality, downed a bottle of water he found unopened in the footwell, and checked his face in the rearview mirror. Things were still crackling a little at the edges, the mirror misty and his face swimming slightly when he tried to focus. His eyes were oddly pink, but his pupils were getting there. Not quite normal. He blinked and forgot. He probably looked fine. As if she'd been waiting, Carrie opened the front door for him before he was even halfway to the porch, blocking his path. He paused, wondering how to play it. He barely remembered their first meeting when she'd been alive. She didn't trust him. That would have to change, or at least he could try the good old charm offensive. He grinned at her. She arched an eyebrow at him. He asked you if we could come in, didn't he? I didn't see you, but I'm assuming he wasn't just talking to the gates. Carrie regarded him with a wooden expression. I'd appreciate it if you didn't antagonise him, or make fun of him. He's my lodger and I don't appreciate it. Wes chose the gallant path. Should I be apologising? I feel I ought to. She moved back a little. Have a go, see what happens. I'm sorry, I was an arsehole. I am, in fact. No excuse for it, just... yeah... It's personal, it's between me and him, but I shouldn't have been that rude. He couldn't remember what he'd said. His head fizzed with random thoughts and broken ideas when he tried to pin that recent memory down. 
He kept thinking there had been a pulsing cocoon in the kitchen on one of the chairs, red and slimy and oozing. Ricky had said something to him, and the table was covered in volcanic black sand. No. He passed a hand over his eyes, sliding his palm over his mouth, attempting focus. He bit the soft skin between his thumb and index finger, and the sharp pinch of his teeth brought some clarity back. God, sorry, I'm not feeling great. The drive, you know, and the family. I'm not at my best, and that's not an excuse either. He was rewarded with a half-smile and a slight nod. Wes relaxed. Is it all right if I stay over, just for a couple of nights? Just a couple? Well, I think I nailed my colours to the mast back there in town, Wes said as she let him inside, evidently taking pity on him. The entrance hall closed in on him, pushing those errant thoughts firmly into their places inside his head and nearly choking him with a change of air. He thought he'd propped himself up against a statue or the hat stand, but realised Carrie had taken his elbow to steady him. He hadn't realised his legs were trembling, or that he was listing to one side. There was a floating sense of disconnect between himself, his head and his body, as if he wasn't really in control of anything other than the small speck of whatever it was currently doing the thinking. He wasn't even sure who that was. Ah, thanks. I'm fine, honestly. He focused, trying out the full body scan his old therapist had recommended. He'd tried therapy for a few months once, but found he didn't have the balls for it. There was too much he didn't want to talk about, and the therapist had suggested he cut down on the booze and drugs, so she'd had to go. Gradually, the floor solidified under his feet, which in turn resumed their status as appendages he was in command of. He blinked, embodied, theoretically stable. Thanks. Just dizzy for a second there. The light, you know. Carrie gave no comment. He pulled away from her casually, taking in the entrance hall properly this time, admiring the staircase, the tiles, the banisters. Don't fancy my chances with a family prowling around at the moment. They can't get me in here, can they? I don't take up much room. Course, this is lovely. Have I said that? Because it is. He winced at himself as his grand's accent, not even the modern local one, but the older remnant of the way people spoke when Gram was a girl, came out of his mouth. He hoped Carrie would forget, but then reflected it would probably work for him with her, whatever she was. It's not for sale, rich boy, she said, as if she'd read his mind. Wes grinned. Only cash rich? Not like I went to the right schools. I'm just a normal guy like you. Oh yeah, we're so alike. Instead of showing him into the living room, they turned left and Wes found himself exploring a wide open room that was evidently the old dining room, where dancing must have taken place. He whistled and it echoed back to him. I bet we've got loads in common. If I took you for dinner, I bet you a tenner I'd even guess your order. She laughed, half shocked, half intrigued. He was good at this. No. No what? No, I wouldn't guess? Or no, you won't have dinner with me? You're not actually asking me out to dinner. Wes shrugged. Why not? I'm dead. He looked her up and down, taking his time about it. She was on the skinny side, and her perky, apple-round tits weren't all that, and there was something off about them, like the rest of her, actually. It was as if she'd been given the shape of a real woman, but had been dipped in wax and sanded down like a mannequin, the contours an approximation rather than the real thing. He'd still give it a go. I don't mind if you don't. Carrie visibly fought a grin. No. He shrugged, thrusting his hands into his pockets. So why are we in here, then, away from prying eyes? He flicked his tongue out suggestively, grinning as she balked. Cut it out. He reined it in, trying to look chaste. Sorry. Carrie sighed. 
He could have sworn her ribs creaked like wood. Wes, I'm serious. I need you to not piss Ricky off, okay? I need you to not antagonise him. I need you to not be a dick. Do you think you can do that? He frowned. Yeah. He paused. I thought this would be more about my sister, or laying down the house rules telling me which towels to use or something. Carrie's stare was icy. Those are the house rules. Wes nodded, that unfamiliar, jealous pang returning. So you really, you really brought me in here to talk about him? You can have the bedroom on the end of the corridor, second floor on the left. Carrie stared at him, cold and stiff. Use the towels on the bed. This is temporary, you understand? Very temporary. But better you lie low here for a day or so than have that lot carve you up for parts, I guess. He shrugged, disappointed. Fine by me. Carrie nodded, then closed her eyes with a frown. He watched her melt into the floor a little. That was the only way he could describe it, with no clear indication of where she ended and the floor began, and he rubbed his face, trying to remember how long ago he'd taken the pill. He was probably fine to drive by now, surely, though he'd been wrong about that before. Carrie opened her glass-clear eyes, reflecting a grey winter sky. Wes couldn't see himself in them. He swallowed. For what it's worth, I'm sorry you died. Thanks. She was hard to read. The dead were inscrutable, he thought, some little phrase from his grandmother dancing into his head and instantly regretted it. That was probably vitalist or some shit. He thought of Ricky and how wasted she was on him. Wes was a people person, it was one of his main strengths. If he didn't get her, he failed to see how Ricky possibly could, couldn't fathom how whatever their relationship was could work. You know he's feral. You can't tame him. He'll fuck it up like he fucks up everything he touches. He can't help it. Yeah, he thinks that too. I wonder where that mantra came from. She arched an eyebrow. Must be nice to have such a supportive family. The sarcasm cut deeper than he anticipated. Wes twitched and adjusted his scarf higher over his mouth and nose, glad she wouldn't remember. Carrie looked at him as if she'd read it on the back of his corneas, although there was a crease of pain clouding her face like a crumpled curtain. She averted her eyes from his face and Wes breathed a relieved sigh. "'Speaking of which, if you want to be useful, go and find him, will you? He's gone off somewhere.' Make it up to him, and if he says you can stay a bit longer, then you can. If he doesn't, you're out. Carrie folded her arms. Got it? Go and play nice. He didn't need telling twice. He had to get out of that room. It was too big, too empty, and he was too lost in it. Right you are. I'll go and... I'll go find him. He curled his fingers into a fist by his side and headed back out, with the weirdest feeling that something was picking through the contents of his head as he went. Chapter 9, Part 2. Wes's Memory, The Change Everyone had breathed a sigh of relief when Charlotte Porter, a single birth and a thirteenth child, had given birth to a single son. Her older sister Letitia, pregnant with a batch, had been delighted for her. Single births were special. Then, of course, three months later, Letitia's batch was spawned, except it wasn't a batch at all, it was one boy, and then Charlotte had spawned again. Everyone thought Wes, as a single birth, would get some measure of the soothsaying powers Pendle-only children tended to get, but that honour was his solitary cousins alone. Small comfort for Auntie Letty and Uncle George, who had always wanted a big family. 
It was decided that Wes's single birth was an accident of nature, a disappointment, and nothing more. When it came closer to the time of changing, he'd avoided going to the shrine to ask for special consideration. That wasn't cool. But when it was finally his turn, he descended the cellar steps in full stupid regalia anyway. At least, he thought it was stupid when everyone else wore it. The wool itched, and the rope was too short on him, but that meant he wouldn't fall flat on his face or fuck it up with clumsiness. Tonight, his night, he wore it with a strange, unfamiliar sense of pride. He was special. He was going to change the first of his siblings to do it, but his cousin had gone first. Ricky was there, three months changed and three months sober, pupils the right size, not drawing attention to himself. He'd finally been read the riot act. Wes was hemmed in by relatives and their robed forms, humming low and muttering a chant Gran claimed she had heard emanating from the outside. He was blindfolded, Gran tying the wide woollen scarf tight behind his head and nearly catching his hair. They slipped a hood over his head for good measure, the robe supposed to cover everything else and keep it hidden until the big reveal at the end. They marched him around Gran's garden, the chanting gathering momentum as he lost track of who was who and who was where. He could tell at first by their voices, but then they all merged into one. It was like labour pains, some said. You felt them where the changes would happen, usually in your head, your throat, your chest. Some had it all over. Some described it like needles, others like knives. His mother said hers had been like contractions, but in her spine. Wes had been feeling an odd numbness all over, creeping across his skin and eating into his larynx for three weeks. Gran said it was coming, they couldn't delay any more. But there wasn't any pain. He always thought it came with pain. I don't think it's the changes, he'd said, but was overruled when Gran examined him properly. Wes wasn't ready. He liked his face, his pretty boy face. Didn't give a toss that the lad said he was metrosexual. He bought into it with skin care and hair gel. Wasn't ready for extra appendages and gelatinous ooze. They pushed him through the back door into the kitchen. He worried about leaving traces of mud on Gran's kitchen floor, stomach cold and somersaulting with each shove, each step forwards. He tried to picture the room, arms raised slightly to feel his way across to the cellar, but he was hemmed in by relatives in front and behind, someone at each elbow, too many for the tight space. How were they all fitting in? Someone was manipulating reality again. Nothing was where it ought to be, the tiles crunched under his soles like sand. He breathed through the scarf, inhaling the heat of a volcanic desert. There were steps. Someone took his hands. Wes descended, the darkness total. Now there was a humming, the tug in his chest, irresistible, physical, like a meat hook on a reeled-in string. It was starting to hurt, a strange ache all over. Could skin ache? Was it muscle deep? Bone deep? He didn't know. Something was sucking at his face, like he'd stepped in front of a vacuum cleaner. The suction pulled him faster down the steps, and he nearly tripped. When he recoiled, it felt like some invisible force was ripping his face off. Wes stumbled, trying to press his hands to his hood, hold his skin on, but he was pulled and grabbed by so many hands and thrown down to the cellar floor. Wes landed with a hard thud on his hands and knees, not on the flagstones, but on hard grit baked by a sun that wasn't theirs. He dug his long fingers deep into it, let it trickle through them, the heat on his back. His ears rang, but there was nothing to hear but the hum and the chant far away. He was alone. He stood up, knowing he mustn't take his hood off, mustn't take the blindfold off, mustn't look. 
sweat prickled all over, beading against the itchy wool, sliding down his back, his face, his chest. Where was he? Where was everyone? He was not alone. Welcome, Wesley. He stood still, petrified, the voice worming into his mind. Take off the blindfold. Obedience was mandatory. He couldn't help it. First the hood. He fumbled for it, tugging it off an old sack without eye holes, scratchy under his trembling hands. Then the scarf. I want to be me, he thought, fingers tugging helplessly at the knot. Please let me still be me. The sacrifice has been made. What sacrifice? By whom? He hadn't made one. He was beginning to regret that now, but it was too late. We have heard the request on your behalf, and we have something special for you. There was a presence directly in front of him. He could feel it there, looming, blocking the dim light source that penetrated the scarf fibres. He screwed his eyes shut as he finally worked the scarf loose and pulled it down around his neck. Whatever it was, it was gigantic. He could sense it surrounding him, feel its shadow moving across his body, hear its breath, or whatever it was doing, like a throbbing song without a tune. Please let me be me, he thought. I want to be me. Open your eyes, Wesley. And Wes would always remember nothing from that moment on, not even in his nightmares, for when he opened his eyes there was nothing but darkness, and the darkness looked back. When he came to, he was on his back in the cellar, staring up at the ceiling, the family gathered around, staring at him with baffled intensity. "'Is that it?' someone demanded, disappointed. "'Shit me,' Wes heard Uncle George say, emaciated from his most recent bout of illness and leaning against the wall. "'Where'd he go?' Wes turned his head and there was a muffled hiss of consternation. Then some sniggers. "'What did he used to look like?' his mother asked someone else. His chest cinched. He jerked upright, stumbling and tearing off the woollen robe. His face felt the same, but then he took his hands away and forgot. Wait, was it the same? What had it been like before? It ought to have a nose. Yes, there was one, still there. Was it the same shape?' And the eyes, yes, two, that was right, wasn't it? Everyone had two eyes, most people, anyway. All right, most people who weren't Wens. Lips, yes, only one mouth. And his nose, what about that? Yes, a nose. How many eyes? Two. Ears? Nose? Chin? Eyes? I need a mirror, he croaked, struggling to breathe. Don't panic. His voice sounded... Wait, what did his voice sound like? They remembered what he'd said, though, because his mother was delving into her ceremonial robes and pulling out her compact. Was it his normal voice? What had he sounded like before? He looked into the mirror with a burst of relief as a normal face looked back at him. He blinked, lowering the compact, and erased it from his memory. Wait. Wait, what did he look like? Was he normal? He couldn't remember what he'd looked like before. Surely there were photographs he could check against those. He stared back into the mirror, fixing everything in his mind, seeing the face in it for the very first time. It was a face he could work with. Fine. He blinked. Who was that in the mirror? Shit, Jesus, it was him. Almost as good as the invisible man, Uncle David boomed into the thick, warm closeness of the overcrowded room and broke the tension. 
Everyone started to laugh. Someone clapped him on the back, and Wes tilted the mirror accidentally, erasing the memory of his own image again. Wait! His mother took the compact back, and Wes tried to stop her, but they were jostling him, all wanting to congratulate him on his change, see what else he'd got. Wait! They were grabbing at his arms, his legs, cuffing his head to see if there was a second mouth like Cousin Ricky, digging him in the ribs to see if he was like Cousin Seth, grabbing his chin and showing him off to each other with leering grins. "'Now you see him, now you don't,' Ricky said from his corner, out of the way of everyone else, lounging back with a nasty gleam in his eyes. Wes didn't trust that grin. "'What did you do?' he demanded as he was shoved back towards the stairs. "'You fucking did something. What did you do?' Someone had made a sacrifice on his behalf, asked for something special. Someone had robbed him of his own face.' Wes's insides trickled away, squirming coldly. "'You did this!' Ricky shrugged, ducking his head to keep Wes in sight as the relatives started up the customary post-ceremony drinking song. "'Agent of fate, me. I don't do nothing.' "'You're a fucking liar!' Wes yelled, and his voice whirled away, drowned out. "'That ain't the whole truth. What did you see? What did you say? What the fuck have you done to me?' "'Have a nice life, Wesley.' Ricky yelled over the racket. He waved his hand in front of his own face. Enjoy the... <laughs> you know. Fucking cunt! Wes fought the tide of his family, but they had hold of him so hard it hurt, dragging him back up the stairs. You did something. You did something. You asked him for this. You... Ricky's cocky grin, his awful, childish fucking giggle, shut his logic down. Wes writhed and twisted, nearly knocking Auntie Linda down the stairs, but she reached up and got him by the scruff. He tripped over the step above, and she saved him from a proper fall. "'I'll get you back for this, you twisted piece of shit! I'll break your fucking face so bad, and it'll remember what you fucking look like!' All he could hear was Ricky laughing at him, the drinking song booming all around them, words lost in the heat of his rage. They yanked him back into the kitchen to face Granny Wend, long grey hair loose in waves around her shoulders, hands clasped in front of her. "'Well done,' she said, and Wes's rage subsided. Her approval was rare, like a snowflake in July. He wanted to say he hadn't done anything, but she nodded and patted his cheek. "'Useful. Clever boy.' Yeah, I'd try. Ricky sauntered out behind the press of relatives, and Wes's nostrils flared. I told you to go down to the shrine and make your own offerings, dear, Granny Wen said to Wes, her hand tightening on his face. Her nails dug into his skin. But no, you wouldn't take it seriously. Better things to do, I'll be bound. Well, this is useful. A man no one can remember. Davy, you'll have a use for him. I'm not a tool, Wes wanted to say. I'm not a toy. I'm not... Welcome to the firm, son. Uncle David was somewhere behind him, a bulky figure in a robe the size of an industrial tarpaulin and his customary fedora. Ricky came forward a few steps, less swagger now, shiftier. Gran, can I go down now? You promised. Later. It won't hurt. Wes could have swung for his cousin. His bloody farsight, of course. He'd sold Wes out with a prayer and sacrifice on Wes's behalf so that he could see the fucking future a bit clearer. Must be on the wane again, Wes realised. We all know how important that is to you. Now you're trying to take your place among the elders like they'll ever accept you, you little piece of shit. I can't believe I wanted to run away with you. Must have been mad. Granny Wen jerked his chin a few times to view him from different angles, tutting as she assessed what she saw there. Her nails dug in deeper, 
the pain distracting him from the horror of what had happened. "'You'd better get me out of this,' he thought, not looking at his cousin. He stared down at the kitchen floor, rubbing his face and hoping this was temporary, that there'd be a loophole, that there'd be some way of getting out of it. "'I want the lottery numbers for a fucking year. I don't even care. I want to win everything. The football pools, the grand fucking national. You're going to get me minted and out of this hellhole, shitty little traitor.' Give Richard a glass, Granny Wend ordered as Great Auntie Olive's batch of homemade was rolled out. Family legend had it that it was from before the war. No one knew which war. For all Wes knew, probably the fucking Crimea. Ricky was protesting that he didn't drink any more. He'd been good, hadn't he? Since his changes, he turned over a new leaf, as promised, done everything she wanted. Wes grinned from ear to ear. This would wreck his far sight and serve him right. Stop your complaints, boy. It's along of you Wesley's made something useful of himself. You celebrate with the rest of us. Useful of himself? Fuck that. Wes turned and fixed Ricky with a vicious sneer. Yeah, Richard. You drink to me with the rest. Ricky looked ill, shocked, as if he genuinely hadn't expected to be shafted. Wes exulted. She was sick of him then. Maybe now he'd get a look in as Gran's new favourite. Ricky was handed a glass of thick, dark brown liquid, stinking like the sludge you had to clean out of plug holes. The strangely sweet undertone was practically pure ethanol. One glass of homemade would easily knock what little farsight he had left clean out of him, and once it hit him, he wouldn't stop at one. When Cousin Ricky had something inside him, he always had another. Always was a greedy little bastard. He'd ruin everything, spoil everything like he always did. Wes gave him two hours before he was throwing up and passing out somewhere on the lonely walk home. Serve him right. Hope he gets fucking pneumonia. Hope he chokes on his own vomit and dies. What's he done? What's he done to me? Wesley drank his own glass of homemade down, syrup thick and reeking like fermented compost. He watched his cousin's ruination begin through his newly forgettable eyes and swore he would never, ever forgive him. so much for listening I really hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far if you are I would love it if you would show some support by buying the books to read along with me or uh, just dropping me a tip on Kofi. that would be fantastic I'm at ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens anything you can give be much appreciated and I now have monthly subscriptions open um, where you get access to bonus content and exclusive stuff so yep um 
please anything you can do would be fantastic and then I can just keep making the podcast for free (laughs) take care of yourselves stay safe love you bye